Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 124. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and as of today, a nationally published author. Yay! (laughs) Today is the birthday of my little book baby, Bossed Up, a grown woman's guide to getting your together. And I am so grateful to each and every one of you who already pre-ordered the Bossed Up book who's sharing the good news about today, publication day online, and who's gifting a copy of the Bossed Up book to the women in your world who you know could use them, including any new grads who are navigating that transition from college to career. The Bossed Up book makes for a wonderful primer as to how to advocate for yourself in your life, but also especially in your career as a woman in a world that doesn't always encourage us to advocate for much of anything. So I encourage those of you who've already picked up a copy for yourself to think about if you have any recent grads in your life who could certainly use some help in navigating that on-ramp into reality post-graduation, this is the book to gift them this season. Also, for those of you who are willing and able to share the good news about today's big publication day online, today in the show notes, I'm sharing with you some really fun and fresh and funky, easy to share graphics to announce today's big publication day because I could really use your help in spreading the word and it means the world to me when you share from your own experience what you've gotten out of this podcast or if you've come to Boss Up Bootcamp or read the Boss Up blog or a part of our email community you know, what do you get from being a part of the Boss Step community? Because in sharing your own story, you're inspiring others to see themselves in you and to see, you know, picking up this book as part of writing their own come up story, as part of taking the reins in their life. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it? This is all about women who lift as we climb. And if you know women in your world who could use some of that in their day-to-day lives and careers, let's invite them to the Boss Step book party, <laughs> right? Let's get them in on this good stuff and make sure everyone knows that the book is available in stores now. And also, if you see the Bossed Up book in the wild, if you see it in any bookstores or if you're going through the airport and see it at a you know tattered cover in the Denver International Airport or you see it in a Barnes & Nobles, please take a snapshot of it and tag me on Instagram. I will totally share that I am so giddy with excitement and so grateful for the opportunity to really spread what I've learned over the past 10 years through this book. So thank you for being part of this exciting endeavor. 
And today we've got a really fun episode that I put together with a couple of key members of the Bossed Up Street team. We had over 60 women from across the country and from our lovely Canadian friends to the north who joined me over the past six months in really helping spread the word and prepare for the launch and weighing in on all the new swag that we've created in anticipation of the book tour that I'm setting off on tomorrow. And on today's episode, I invited a few members of the street team to join me for a discussion about the Bossed Up book that kind of echoes the book club discussions I've been a part of in the past. And really, this is my way of sharing other women's reactions to the book with you, talking through some of the key themes, hearing what folks were reacting to and hearing what really resonated most. And it's also my way of sharing with you that I would love to crash your book club. So if you're part of a book club or want to read the Bossed Up book together with a handful of friends, I am making myself available to beam in virtually via Zoom video chat to any one of your upcoming book club meetings. So if you and your pals get together and want to read the book in the next couple of months, I am more than happy to join you and your book club friends for a discussion of the Boss Step book to answer any questions and discuss some of the key themes and help unpack anything that you want to learn more about or wish I'd written more about. It would be a true honor to join you in real time at your upcoming book club meetings. So get in touch with me today at emily at bossedup.org or fill out the form in today's show notes if you'd like me to join you and your book club members at your next meeting. I'd love to beam in and be a part of the discussion, kind of like today's discussion. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome on to the Bossed Up podcast today, three of our incredible street team members who've been helping me get the word out about the Bossed Up book. And as a part of being a member of the street team, they all received advanced copies of the Bossed Up book and had a chance to sink their teeth into them early. So Kate, Lou, and Katie, welcome to the Bossed Up podcast today. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so this is by far the most number of people we've ever had on the Boss Up podcast at once. So to our dear listener, forgive us in advance if we talk over one another a little bit, but that's what book clubs sound like, right? So first reactions or biggest takeaways, biggest aha moments or things that you really felt impacted by in the Boss Up book. Let's start there. Like what stood out to any one of you? So for me, what was huge was This, it's almost like an exercise in the book is the way I saw it going from how do you bridge the gap between who you believe you are to who you want to be and how to get there. I think I call that like identity expansion work. Did that resonate with either of you, Kate or Katie? Yeah, definitely. And the guilt and shame that comes from knowing that there is a gap there. (laughs) Yeah. who I really am and the, that bar that I'm holding myself up to, I definitely feel that for sure. Yeah. And just to piggyback off that, the one thing that really stuck out to me was the whole, you know, with that gap, I'm the only one who can change that gap. Like mm-hmm. I'm in the driver's seat of it. It depends on me. I mean, I have a community surrounding me, but ultimately it comes down to me making the effort to get to where I want to go. Yeah, right. And how we perceive that gap is up to us as well. I think there's this beautiful quote by Tracy Ellis Ross. She says, I'm always trying to allow that space between where I am and where I want to be to inspire me and not terrify me. Yeah, Mm, I love that. 
I really believe that we can either torture ourselves to achieving our goals, we can suffer our way to success, or we can try to figure out what it looks like to strive and thrive at the same time, like how our ambition and self-care can coexist peacefully. What does navigating that identity expansion work look like for you in your lives? Boundaries. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Being okay with the idea that sometimes we have to disappoint others to protect ourselves. Mm. And I think as you said in the book, to make ourselves proud, I highlighted that line. Found myself since I read the book, setting more boundaries and being more assertive and saying, actually, I just really can't do that today. I'd like to, but today's not the day. And not saying, but how about next Tuesday? Right. Just stopping there and saying, no. (laughs) That makes me so happy to hear. I still struggle with that kind of stuff myself. And in the book, I write a lot about how I struggle the most with this in my family, not necessarily in the professional realm, but with my own family, drawing healthy boundaries is always harder than drawing healthy boundaries at work. And just this past weekend, I was in Providence, Rhode Island last week to speak at a conference. And that's an hour and a half away from my parents' house. So I was like, oh, I'm in the neighborhood. I should come hang out. It's my little brother's birthday. There's a lot of stuff happening around the house that I'm trying to help them facilitate a renovation of their house. And we were coordinating and I was almost ready to like rent a car and change my flights. And I realized I hadn't had a weekend off in two weeks because I had bossed up boot camp in New York the weekend prior. And I had to just level with myself first and say, okay, I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to disappoint my identity as being a good daughter. But if I'm going to be good to myself right now and I'm going to have the self-care and sustainability and just the basic human rest that I need to not be a snappy daughter at home, I can't can't go home right now. (laughs) And we all decided that was for the best. And I have no regrets on that front. I sent a birthday card. I had a long chat with my little brother. I did not need to be physically at home because I needed to rest instead. And those are hard calls to make, right? I think that's so important. You talk about the power of saying just no. Like, I really like that idea of just no is so powerful. But I also love this idea that you brought up of flipping it. Mm. And when you're saying just no, what are you saying yes to? And that's helped me at work a lot because nobody wants to hear you say no you're supposed to continue the conversation, not shut people down. So by saying no, however, there's room now for this other thing that I can say yes to. I know that helps me a lot in my job. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So for me in my career, it's been saying no to kind of racing up the ladder as fast as I can because I want to say yes to other areas of my life, like healthy relationships and a healthy just self in general. (laughs) The book was really good to like reinforce like it's okay to not have to race the corporate ladder in the sake of advancing womanhood. You know, it's okay to take care of myself. I would argue even advancing womanhood requires taking care of oneself and redefining what success comes with, right? Mm -hmm. I find so many of us bring that kind of project management and planner-oriented mindset to our professional lives and we forget to give ourselves the same energy, effort, and just time, right? To think about and dream about and scheme about and plan for the goals we have in our personal lives. What does that look like for you, Katie? What does that building room for really mean? So 
For me, I have struggled with anxiety my whole life, and Mm. there are certain things that I have to do regularly. So I have to regularly work out. I have to be regularly either journaling or meditating. I have to be sleeping well. And so actually, just a couple weeks ago, my boyfriend and I were trying to figure out, you know, what night for date night and looking at my work calendar, knowing it was going to be a crazy week. I said, if we're going to see each other this week, it has to be Wednesday because by the time Thursday rolls around, I'm going to be dead and I'm not going to have anything to offer you. And we're going to end up in a fight because I'm going to be in a bad mood. And I just need to take care of me. And that will be better for our relationship. (laughs) What was your partner's response? Uh, He agreed. He was like, okay, (laughs) I have meetings, but I will leave them because (laughs) this is more important. And he had to say no to something in his career as well. He had to put a firm stop on a meeting that he normally would just let go. Yeah. That I love. Yeah. It is a radical act still today to give yourself that time, give yourself that grace. But I definitely hope that the lessons in the book can help us really clarify what our objectives are personally and professionally. And then do the hard work, which is drawing those damn boundaries to actually make time to pursue that. It reminds me of what you say in the book, Emily, about putting on your oxygen mask. And everyone's heard that, of course, but you're relying on do it. So you can help others, but also because you deserve it. Yeah, like, baby. I love that. I think I said you deserve some <laughs> fucking oxygen. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, yeah. Of course, women should put our oxygen masks on so we can better assist others. But it's like we miss the moral argument behind self-care sometimes. It's not just a strategic career booster to take care of yourself. It's also like we deserve it. Like basic human needs, putting them first totally should be a right and Sadly, it's not in this country, especially. But if you have the freedom, if you have the privilege to actually take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul, use it. I feel like we've arrived at this generation of women whose grandmothers and and mothers have fought hard for equal opportunity. And now we're just clinging to the table, as Michelle Obama says, right? We're just glad to be there. We want to prove ourselves worthy. It's like, no, take up your goddamn space put a face mask on because you deserve it and change the whole game, right? Change the rules while we're in that room. There's something else I've used from the book on that point um, at work about being at the table and thinking that your mind goes one way, like, I'm the only woman in this room, which happens in my field. And well, it happens to everyone, right? It doesn't matter what field you're in. Mm -hmm. And um, thinking, again, kind of flipping the script and thinking, what am I bringing that other people aren't. And you can actually say like, I'm the only woman in this room, meaning I have the only woman's perspective in this room, which is extremely valuable. Yeah. So that's been helpful to me. Kate, I see you nodding. Have you found yourself thinking that way too? Yeah. Well, a few minutes ago when you were talking, I was thinking about that, that martyrdom mindset trap mm. that to succeed, we have to suffer. And I can remember back being, you know, in college and complaining to my dad that I didn't have time to work out because I had a waitress job and I was the editor of the paper and I was trying to get good grades. And he said, well, you know, in the business world, I've noticed that some of the most successful women that I say, they work out at four o'clock in the morning. So maybe you could consider that. (laughs) (laughs) um, I never work out at four o'clock in the morning. That's not what being successful ever meant to me, but that whole like, well, if you wanted to get the good grades and have the job and be the editor and be in good shape, Mm. 
4 to 5 a.m. And I think it's so empowering to just reject that and yeah. be like, even if that means that I wear a ponytail most days because I don't straighten my hair, like I choose sleep. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, for saying that. I have heard many a guru be like, the hour between 4 and 5 a.m. is mine. And I'm like, girl, get your sleep. Like maybe you're going to sleep at 9 p.m., in which case, fine. No shame in that game. But I am not going to be a good sister, boss, you know, daughter or mother or friend if I'm getting to the gym at 4 a.m. for my biceps and not my beauty sleep. So <laughs> there's got to be a better way, right? Like there's got to be a way to shake up what it means to be successful and not have to accept the suffering that so many of us tacitly accept. Did it come through in the book that I feel like there's this difference, though, between suffering and sacrifice? Because I always struggle with to what extent, who needs to hear that message? You know, there are some people out there who need a good swift kick in the behind to say, you know what, you're not sacrificing any short-term desires to pursue your long-term goals. And then there's 99% of the women I talk to who are suffering (laughs) too much. You know, I feel like that's a tension that I felt when writing this book. What are your thoughts on that difference between short-term sacrifices for long-term goals versus chronically suffering? I feel like in suffering, you've given up your control, where if you view it as a sacrifice, you're in the driver's seat, like I was saying earlier. And I think that because suffering is a mindset that you talk about. And so when a mindset is something that you can change, and I think you change a suffering mindset to a sacrifice mindset, and that it depends then on the actions and how you view your circumstances. And I think a person who's sacrificing views it as, you know, I feel privileged that I have all of these different great things that I get to choose from and that I have the luxury to be empowered to say no to certain things. And I think Mm. maybe that's what's missing in the martyrdom mindset. Yeah. Because the martyrdom mindset and that idea of suffering for success feels like I'm privy to my circumstances, right? Like life is happening to me. I have no choice in the matter. Whereas being proactive about choosing, you know, I'm not going to get perfect exercise in in the next two weeks because I'm going to be on a book tour. (laughs) And I forgive myself in advance for prioritizing my book tour over my physical well-being. Like that is the difference, the agency that you make when sacrificing. I like that. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the martyrdom mindset, about expanding your identity saying no. I feel like the assertive communication chapter is the big beefiest chapter in the whole book. I've been practicing that lately. And recently I'm a web developer. So I deal with contracts and timelines and scope creep. And um, I recently had a male client say to me when we were arguing over uh, project overages, I'm really surprised you're holding such a hard line on your contract or on these little terms. And I wanted to say back to him, would you say that to a guy in the same conversation? You're just surprised because I'm a woman and you expect me to acquiesce and to be agreeable. And it's not a hard line. It's what is on this contract that we both signed. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Oof. I can just imagine the energy that it takes to like, 
put on a happy face and try to be agreeable, even in explaining yourself and your worthiness and your time and your value. And that's a lot of labor. So what did you draw from the book that helped you deal with that? Like, how do you, how do you respond to something like that? Other than feeling pissed. Cause I, my first instinct is like, <laughs> how dare they? <laughs> the idea that when we grow in our own power, we enable others to have power. So I said that it was awkward. It felt like a ton of bricks. I'm biting my lip on my side of the phone call, but I said it mm-hmm. and the contract went on and we're working together again. And now we don't have conversations like that anymore. That's great. So sometimes you just stand up and you put your hands on your hips and you say, no, this is my line in the sand. And I think a lot of what I took out of the book was a reminder that like, we all have that power. Absolutely. Nobody can quiet that. It's just our responsibility to own it. That was so beautiful. I'm so glad to hear that. Did any of the women featured in the book stand out to you as well? Um, so for me, Jessica, the quote is, sometimes Jessica realized you don't need a single long-term mentor. You need a short-term squad to help you achieve a singular goal. And for me, I've always, I have like my one solid mentor and it just happens to be that like we are similar in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. But when I think about different things that I might want to do at work, you know, I'm going to need some other people around me to help Mm -hmm. me achieve different projects that my boss gives me. And so that bit really resonated. I'm so glad because so Jessica's story was in the chapter about cultivating your community of courage. And I had some unpopular opinions about mentors to share. <laughs> Mainly, I think it's a big overpromise. What did y'all make of that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I worked at a corporate headquarters a couple jobs ago and they had a formal mentorship program and I was an analyst and so like I just looked at all the data for it and it just the feedback was that it wasn't useful and people had to cancel and it was the structure that they wanted it to be, I get for accountability reasons. But my right. long-term mentor that I have, she's also a friend. And so she's someone a little bit older than me. So yes, I classify her as a mentor, but first and foremost, we're friends. And she's someone I can go to when we can shift gears and shift between right. those two relationships when I need it. Which I would say is totally typical of a healthy mentor relationship. It should be mutually beneficial. That friendship is not coincidental. I think that's what fosters all good relationships. And the forced structure that's hoisted upon so many of us in the pursuit of mentorship perfection is such a pain in the ass for the people who organize that. For like the pleasant experience of professional speed dating, I think is what I call it in the book. And I just think the formality of it does harm to actual squad building, to actual courage community building. But I don't know. I mean, everyone seems to be gaga for mentors in the career development space. And I don't get it. I really don't myself. What do you think of that? This reminds me of, I think, Leandria's story um, in the book. Because I've been given the feedback for most of my career that basically they're telling me you're too much of an introvert. And there's this whole idea that introverts can't be successful in the same way as extroverts at work. And since reading the book, I've started saying yes to more mentorship opportunities because, again, back to Leandria's story, she'd always defined herself as shy, which is how I used to define myself. 
And just reading her story about how she built her community, yeah. it only gave me an example to build that courage to do that. And I think it's been really valuable, but definitely approaching it as if knowing that you have something to offer them helps, then it doesn't feel so uncomfortable. Right. Taking that peer mentality. And I love Leandria's story too. She wasn't featured on the podcast, so I just want to provide a little context here. She was also featured in the Courage Community chapter because she served as a bossed up ambassador and then a women in technology community developer in DC after she navigated her way into tech and really rose quickly. And I think through growing her community in a really organic grassroots way, even though it felt like dramatic identity expansion work for someone who is totally an introvert, because I know Leandria, and she would absolutely call herself a shy, introverted person. You know, she practiced the art of telling her story. She had lots of one-on-one meetings with people to build strong foundations to blossoming relationships. And those relationships became her short-term squad, like you mentioned, Katie, during this pivotal moment of need when she was navigating a career transition. And because she had this great community that she could call upon for support, she ended up, I think, landing, if I'm remembering correctly, a new position with a 40% pay raise, (laughs) which just blows your mind, right? To think that someone who never considered herself much of a networker and not a very extroverted talker could really still, using that kind of grassroots mentality, build her own power by building her community. I'm so glad to hear that that resonated. Yeah. And I think it also started for me in this idea of realizing my own worth and worthiness of having these connections. Because it is valuable to learn from people more senior than me in their careers. And am I worthy of that? Just recognizing that I am. Hell yeah. And that's the work, right? I mean, that's the deep work that hopefully comes through in this book. But that whole mentality changes everything. If we believe we are worthy fundamentally of love and belonging and our basic human needs being met, our behaviors change. We don't martyr ourselves for others' love. And I struggled with that a lot. But hopefully this book shares not only through my story, but through all the research and all the other women featured in this book, what it looks like to flip that script and come from a place of worthiness, for sure. One of the examples that stood out to me was Emma, the accidental admin. I really identified with the idea where she thought, I work for nonprofits. I've got the ceiling. I'm always going to make 30K less than all my peers. And by getting pushed a little bit outside of her comfort zone and, and having to do more tech at that nonprofit, which is something I you know, had I worn in the past, she found this other career Mm. that opened up new doors to her and she ended up making more money, having a more flexible life. I read her story and then I did that dot exercise on the circle. And um, I call it the the star exercise because mine is very pointy. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like that accidental admin. I am often telling my friends when they're frustrated in their jobs, what are you passionate about? If you didn't have to make any money, what would you be doing? And there's probably a way to tie that back to some way to sustain your life and your family if you dig deep enough. Yeah, it definitely takes work, right? It takes risk tolerance. It takes a little self-exploration. 
But what I love about Emma's story is that she changed her own internal narrative. And we talked about this on the podcast when I interviewed her. I'll link to her interview in the show notes of this episode as well, because she really went from thinking in order to do good work in this world, in order to contribute to the greater good, I'm just stuck in nonprofit land. I'm stuck making less money. This is my future. I must accept it. And then she started to grow pretty resentful about that supposed reality until she was able to find another way to have an even greater impact on the kind of progressive change she wanted to further in this world without having to martyr herself, without having to sacrifice. And I'm so glad that resonated too. And I should add for anyone listening that the book does have a few very specifically interactive components, right? Try it exercises, key strategies to do right away. I intertwine free downloadables from the Bossed Up website throughout the book as well. So the goal for this book is to really be instantly applicable. Have you taken anything away from reading the book that you've immediately started applying to your life? I know we started talking a little bit about that at the top, but I wonder if there's anything else, any skills or or habits that you've started to change as a result of the book. I have for sure. Back to earlier when we were talking about changing the way you see yourself and doing something and not just thinking about it because I tend to just be in my head and I'm going to think and I'm going to worry and then I'm not going to do anything. But you have this framework and it's a circle and it's three steps and it's to take purposeful action, gauge the reaction of the people around you. And then you say internalize. And the way I see that is kind of to analyze. Yeah. And that's helped me a lot. It helps me have the courage to just throw something against the wall and see if it sticks and see how it makes me feel. And it's not going to be the end of the world. Yes. Can you give us an example? Have you anything that comes to mind about going for it? I always say like, it really is like to feel like a boss, you got to start acting like a boss and see what happens, (laughs) which is nerve wracking. Yeah, no, I can because um, I just recently, a couple days ago, changed my job completely. And that's a really big (laughs) example of throwing something against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Damn, girl. But yeah, I went from consulting and working in software to being a full-time engineering manager at a startup. And it's super exciting. And it's just really applying this whole idea of I've got to believe. I believe I am an engineering manager and filling the gap between believing I am and being one. (laughs) I love it. I'm so proud of you. What a boss move. I mean, there's a reason we always end the Bossed Up Tuesday episodes on this podcast with listener boss moves, because I feel like just hearing about women going for it, even when it doesn't always go perfectly well all the time, you know, the courage it takes to just put yourself out there and believe in yourself from that framework of self-worth and, you know, to be in the midst of that identity expansion is contagious. I believe that courage is contagious in that way. So if I've done my job well, everyone who reads this book will start making boss news just like you, Lou. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And the kind of the feeling I have is I don't know how it's going to go. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to try to do what's best for my teams and we'll see. Yeah. You don't have to have confidence in your abilities 100% of the time, but you have to have confidence in your ability to figure it out, right? To do your right. best, to figure it out. That is the theme of my book tour planning, (laughs) like making it up as I go. I could see the more you know star with uh, making it all up and figuring it all out (laughs) flashing across the, the screen. But yeah, I can relate so hard. That's awesome. 
So what, if anything, in the book challenged you? Was there anything that sort of took you aback or made you stop and think or made you analyze how you were doing what you're doing? So for me, it was just when you talked about diversity and looking at my own squad and its lack of diversity and really calling myself out on why am I not pursuing people or you know even the people that I do who are different than me, why have I done that? And really just challenging mm. myself to make sure that it's been for the reason that they're a human being who I want to get to know because they're a human being who has something to offer me and not because they're a human being who looks different than me or believes something different than me or something like that. But really just going to the heart of, I need people who are different than me in my life. And I, you don't just stumble into that. You have to be intentional about it because of our human nature. I feel like it's human nature to draw those barriers between us and them. And we all live in such bubbles especially on social media. I think the the rise of social media has in some ways become something of an echo chamber. And it can be hard to seek out diversity in your own courage community, but that's why it's a courage community, right? It should be filled with people who not only support you, but also challenge you, also push you, also push back on your self-doubt and your martyr mindset when it comes up, right? Because we all have that. But it does take intentionality, right? And, and it takes the intention and the effort, and energy, and time. I feel like at the end of the book, I make this case for please spend time on your relationships, platonic or romantic, right? Like we are worthy of putting in the effort there. And we have a global loneliness epidemic that begs for that kind of effort right now. Did that speak to anybody else? Definitely for me. I feel like for the past couple of years, I've been putting so much into work and career and not enough into relationships. And I have two young kids. I have a husband. I want, you know, all of them to keep liking me too, as well <laughs> as um, the clients and work people. It's really hard to balance and to wear all of those hats and wear them well. Definitely role overload was something that stood out to me. Mm. But I think that by expecting less of ourselves, we can be more at peace with what we're able to do with our days. Mm. I wonder how moms writ large will react to the book because it is kind of a like a manifesto for self-care in a radical way in a world that tells us like, you're only a good mom if you sacrifice your well-being for your loved ones. And that's a tough, I, I think moms have rightfully pushed back on that message in the past. Like my mom says to me, and granted, you've read Mama the Martyr, the first chapter of my book, so you know where this is coming from. But, you know, she said, Emily, you can't understand until you have little babies of your own and you know how all-encompassing that kind of love is. But well, I mean, what's your take on that as a mom, Kate? I, I feel like how do you manage love for yourself and modeling that with love for your children? It's one of the most challenging things to manage. And I, I hear where your mom is coming from because sometimes self-care for me is shutting down my computer when my son gets off the bus and cracking open geodes with a hammer in the backyard with him to see what's inside. That's self-care because yeah. we do love our family members and spending time with them is, is a way to nourish our soul. Mm. But it's also okay to say, and now you go to your after school program because 
now I choose to spend my time going to yoga class on Thursdays or something. Um, I love that. It's a constant balancing act. I felt included in the book, even as a single parent. I think near the end, there's a point where you talk about community. And I feel so often that what I read focuses on a really traditional family setup, Mm. which just, I don't know statistically what the norm is, but it feels like we're moving away from that. And I've recognized the need to build a community outside of a traditional family because I don't have one. So what family means has really evolved for me in building that community. I mean, I've learned so much along the the past six years in this journey that is bossed up, in part due to my really wonderful and vocal single friends, Bridget Todd, my former co-host of the Sminty podcast, who is joining me on stage at our DC book tour event tomorrow night, actually. You know, she said to me, you know, being single means there's no one there to let the cable guy in. You know, being a single woman means, you know, I'm not always be able to lean on a partner for sharing household tasks. And so many of these women in the workplace books are about how who you marry is such a big, important career decision. And I get where that comes from, but I really wanted to be intentional, especially in the last chapter about creating a community of courage that that doesn't necessarily mean this one savior (laughs) figure (laughs) of a partner in our lives is going to cut it. So I'm glad you felt seen in that regard because that was a blind spot of mine for a long time. And I always try to say that you're a complete person. You know, work-life balance is tough for everybody, including those of us who don't have a family per se. But that doesn't mean we have to go it alone either. Final thoughts, lightning round sort of question. What do you wish there was more of? What do you wish I discussed more in the book? Or, you know, if you're my publisher and you're thinking, all right, Emily, what's book number two going to be about? (laughs) What could you have heard more of? Or would want to see more thought put behind? Well, you talked a little bit about managing long-term goals. I would like to hear a little bit more about how to identify what your goals are. Yeah. Um, Because I think a lot of the time we can identify that we're dissatisfied or that our current setup isn't working, but it's not until we can articulate where we want to be that we can really start to make progress there. Yes. Um, I love that question. I always feel like I can best answer that at Bossed Up Bootcamp. (laughs) I throw women into the deep end at that workshop in the very first module with a few different exercises that I think Maggie's story in the book touched upon, but this 10-year reunion exercise that really forces you to think about your goals and articulate them, sometimes for the first time ever. I do not know how to get that across in a book. (laughs) So, but I, I like the challenge. So I'm hearing you. I'm gonna I'm gonna rise to the occasion. I really did try to translate some of the magic of Bostep Bootcamp into this book, but it's not all bookable. <laughs> so if I can just dream big, the next Emily Aries book that I want is a very inclusive book all about relationships, different kinds of relationships, romantic relationships, relationships with your family, relationships with your friends, mentorship relationships. That's what I want. Damn, Lou. I love that idea. I felt to me like the last chapter of the book was the easiest to write. I have such feminist dystopian grief over the research on 
women's ambition and heterosexual relationships, but it's stuff I've been writing about since college. And I would love to dive deeper into all kinds of relationships because I think you're right. The family unit is changing. One of my advisors actually at Boss Up has this incredible organization all about the changing and shifting norms around the traditional family unit called Family Story. So maybe she and I could jam on uh, on that topic further. I should have her on the podcast, actually, so we can start there. For me, along those lines, uh, book two, I think would be, you know, I've now read the book and have bossed up. How do I help those closest to me boss up without just mm. like handing them the book themselves? Like, what else can I do? <laughs> well, that is a good place to start, Katie. I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned it. In case you haven't already, buy your bestie a copy of Bossed Up right away. But it is a tricky thing, right? Because I always look back at my early career as burnt out martyr Emily and think if someone had hoisted this upon me, you know, or if someone had told me to get bossed up, I would have been very f-ing offended. <laughs> I would have been like, you don't understand. This is what it takes <laughs> to be good at my job. Like, I'm willing to suffer. You're welcome. So it's a tough question. I feel like we have to come to this on our own sometimes. But on that note, if you were thinking about gifting the boss step book to somebody, who is the perfect person to read this book? Like, what is she going through? Who would you recommend picks up a copy of boss step, a grown woman's guide to getting your shit together? I'm curious. I think anyone who is not satisfied in any area of their life, because your book touches on all of the intersections of career and family and other relationships and mental health and physical health. So anyone who's just not satisfied somewhere in their life will get something from this book. I love that. I would say anybody who's feeling strained by that second shift, Mm. whether it's coming home to kids or to parents or fur babies, whatever it is, a second job, a side hustle, there's that feeling that there's not enough hours in the day is a painful one. And it's not necessary to feel that way. So that's who I would get bossed up to. Yeah, I, do. I really hate peddling and hopelessness that I hear sometimes. And I get that we need systemic changes, for sure. Like we could talk all day. I could get on my pu- public policy soapbox and we could talk all day about paid family leave and raising the minimum wage and all the good, big work that still needs to be done to make that easier and more accessible for all Americans and all women worldwide. But in the meantime... Here's how to do it yourself, right? Here is the patchwork, scrappy, assertive methodology that I want all people to feel like they have access to in light of injustice, right? In the face of unfairness. Hopelessness is not an option. I can't think of anyone who couldn't use it. (laughs) Um, I feel like it'd be great to give it to someone younger than me. Just why not? Just get it right out of the gate. Um, maybe right when you graduate college. <laughs> yeah, it's college graduation season. Shortcut all the bullshit that I and many of us have dealt with in our early 20s <laughs> and 30s and 40s. And, you know, here's the way to fast track your way to sustainability. I love that. Well, ladies, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your take on the Boss Up book and for being members of the Boss Up Street team. I really could not have gotten through this wild adventure without your support. And your early feedback on the book itself has really been integral in how we have moved forward and how I've moved forward in thinking about where to connect with folks and where to bring the Boss Up book tour and all kinds of good things. So 
I'm excited to see you all on tour, many of you on tour soon. And if not, for any book clubbers who are listening to this episode, I am now lining up virtual book tour stops with anybody who has a book club who wants to hang and talk about the book and ask questions and walk through critiques or conundrums or challenges that came up for you in the book. So don't hesitate to find more details about that in the show notes on today's episode. But yeah, I'm just like so thrilled to have you on here. And thanks for being listeners of the Boss Up Podcast and now guests of the Boss Up Podcast. It's truly a delight. Thanks, Emily. Make sure to head to bossedup.org slash book and order your copy right now. Or head to your local independent bookstore and pick up your copy in person. Even better. You know, I'm all about supporting those independent bookstores. Many of which, by the way, I'm headed to on the Bossed Up Book Tour, which starts tonight with my Bossed Up Book launch party. I'm celebrating tonight in Denver at one of my very favorite local woman-owned cocktail bars, Bar Helix. We have over 100 people registered to attend, which is wild. And our local revered bookstore, the Tattered Cover Bookstore, is joining us on site to sell some of the first printed hardcover copies of my book. And then tomorrow, I'm headed to DC for a lovely event with my old pod pal, Bridget Todd, with whom I co-hosted Stuff Mom Never Told You. She and I are teaming up at an event at iStrategy Labs. The next day, I'm going to politics and prose with the DC chapter of the Badass Woman's Book Club. Before I move on to Providence, Rhode Island, Hartford, Connecticut, New York City, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and a new stop we just added to the Boss Up Book Tour lineup, Columbus, Ohio, then Chicago, Illinois, Austin, Texas, and round everything out in Los Angeles and San Francisco, California. And if you want to join me on tour, get all the details and register today at bossedup.org slash book. And now, as always, let's round out today's episode with an inspiring listener-submitted Boss Move of the Week. Hey, Emily and all you Bossed Up ladies. This is Bree from Massachusetts, and I'm calling to share my Boss Move of the Week. I wanted to say thank you for all the excellent advice and positive energy that you put into the world because it gave me the courage to finally ask for a big pay adjustment after accepting more responsibility again without a pay increase. That tends to be a trend in my career. The encouragement and advice from your podcast gave me the final push, and I even printed a picture of you that I could look at during my conversation to keep me motivated, which sounds super creepy now that I say it out loud, but it worked. You were here cheering me on. And so I scheduled a call with our HR director and negotiated a 16% increase in my pay, effective immediately with the understanding that we can discuss another adjustment at the end of the year. Yes, boss, we are cheering you on and I am so proud of you. And thank you for calling your boss move in. You really never know who you're inspiring when you dare to share the ways in which you are bossing up in work and in life. If you have a boss move to share or if you've got a career conundrum you want me to tackle on the podcast next, leave me a message right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Once again, that's 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's all we got for you on this very special publication day episode of the Vasta podcast. I want to thank you so much for all the ways in which you support this podcast and everything I'm up to at Vasta. 
and all the inspiring women who are part of our collective community. You heard many of the 15 women who are featured in my new book, who are members of the Bossed Up community, featured on this very podcast over the past few weeks as well. And so I want to give them another major shout out and express my deepest gratitude for their willingness to share their stories so courageously in the new book as a way to inspire more women to step up as the boss of their lives, to own their power unapologetically, and to design our careers and lives accordingly. I hope you enjoy the book. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And I encourage you to keep in touch with me on social media at Emily Aries and at Bossed Up Org to let me know what you think. Until then, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And It actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.